Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Uh, thank you for another day that we can open our eyes and with our breath that you have given us praise you and glorify you and recognize how much you have done for us. And that even though it was for us, you did it for the praise of your glory. That we get to be the thing to which you point for all of eternity and say, you want to know my glory? You want to know about my grace? Look at these people. What an amazing privilege, Father. What an amazing privilege it is to come before you today to hear from your word, to understand what you have to say to us. And that we know that because of what your son has done, we are made right with you and there's nothing we could ever do that would make you love us more or less. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so what are these things that he has done for us? We, uh, we pretty much covered them last week, right? Um, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. He's blessed us in Christ in every spiritual, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, what are those blessings uh, in the spiritual place, in the, in the heavenly places? Well, he chose us from before the foundation of the world um, so that we would be holy and blameless before him. Sorry, right now we're not holy and blameless. Um, he predestined us to be adopted to himself as sons. And this is according to the purpose of his will. He gave us redemption through his blood, which is the forgiveness of our trespasses. And it's according to the riches of his grace, not according to the sin that we have done. He lavished his grace upon us and wisdom and insight. <clears throat> he is uniting all things in him, including us, not only us to him, but us to each other. He's given us an inheritance. And this inheritance is according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This inheritance is a gift from God the Father. It is as a result of the work of Christ. And it is um, guaranteed to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. He's made a place in heaven for us. What's that? He's made a place in heaven for us. Yeah. And yeah. where he goes, if he's gone to prepare a place, will he not come back to, to take us to it, right? <clears throat> so now we get to today's passage, which is chapter 1, 15 through 23. <clears throat> and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this justice. Um... It's, this is still part of the introduction of the letter. He's, he's talking to a group of people who he has spent time with. He's been away from for, for a significant period of time. And, you know, as, as someone who goes and, and does a job somewhere, you think back on it, I wonder if that thing is still standing. I wonder if that thing is still holding fast, you know. Well, he had a love for these people because he spent so much time with them. And from our perspective, we could think, well, I don't know if I did a good enough job. I don't think that's really Paul's perspective here. But if you think about it in that, in that manner of thinking, I wonder how they're doing. 
Paul doesn't have to wonder. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. These are two examples of true believers, of a real, true, lively, thriving church. That they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they love the saints. They love the body of Christ. They love being with each other. Even though they're from disparate backgrounds and all sorts of walks of life, it doesn't matter. They love Christ and they love the body. So Paul is not thinking, hmm, I wonder if it worked. No, he's hearing from everywhere that these people are real and true members of the church. And it's for that reason that he is praying this prayer that he's going to say. And I should just read the whole passage. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So now back to the for this reason. He is absolutely convinced that this group of people is part of those whom God has, what did it say? Predestined for adoption to himself as sons. He's absolutely convinced that these people are the ones with whom God has blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he did this from before the foundation of the world. I know that you are among the people whom God has foreordained to know Christ. I know it. Now, I want to take a little bit of a, a short detour here. The people that Paul is talking to right now, he has this assurance of because he's heard from all places. And wherever he goes, he's hearing about the love and the faith of the Ephesians. They are famous for their faith in Christ and their love for the saints. Jump over to Revelation. And not even 40 years later, Although they are being um, lifted up in the, in the most part by the letter of Christ to the Ephesians, he says, but this I have against you. You've lost your first love. This is only 40 years. How fast can a group of people who have such love for Christ and love for, for the saints lose that first love. Now, in Revelation, it talks about all of the good deeds that they do and their love for the saints. So this first love that, they're, that they've lost has got to be something else. It's got to be the love for Christ. Somehow, between this letter and the letter from Christ to the Church of Ephesians, They've lost their zeal 
for Christ. They've lost their, their love for Christ. How can this be? How long has this church been here? 65, 70 years? Guys, if we're not careful, we can lose our first love. Please, Lord, may that never be. Now, back to Ephesians. It is because of Paul's knowledge of their, their love. It's because of Paul's knowledge that they are the true church, that he prays for them. And he does it in this way. Basically, this, this section here isn't really a prayer. It's a description of how he typically prays for them. But in all of the commentaries, it says this is a prayer. So we'll just go with that. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the Father of glory. What does this mean? Anybody have any ideas? Father of, think of origin, the origin of, the source of, the destination to, the reason for, the Father of glory, the source of all glory, where all glory will be given to. God will not share his glory with another. So that God, the Father of glory, the source of glory, might give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Where? In the scripture. He's given us everything we need in order to trust Christ, in order to know, well, from the creation, that he exists, that he is real, that he's intelligent, that he's ordered, that he has um, uh, beauty and creativity and, and uh, so many different attributes that you can, you can glean just from the world around us. But he's also given us the scriptures. He's, he's given us his son in these last days. And who is this son? This is, this is the exact representation of his image. So that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So we, we just said that Christ is the exact representation of his image. We want to know who the Father is. We want to know, we want to have that spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Who do we look to? Christ. Everything's in Christ. Now, in that understanding of God in Christ. That will have the um, effect of having our eyes, the eyes of our hearts enlightened. And the purpose of that enlightening is to know what the hope is to which he has called you. 
It's interesting here, the no word. You know, typically when we're talking about knowing God, we're talking about a, a, a word that um, is in the Greek gnosis, um, which is a coming to understand. It's, it's not a, I understand fully. It's a process of understanding. It's a, it's a, I apprehend. I don't comprehend. Comprehend means complete knowledge of something. To apprehend is, yeah, I get it. Could I explain it to a five-year-old? Probably not. But I get it for myself. That's apprehending. Comprehending is completely different. It is a full knowing. And here, the word to know is oida, which is a perfect tense verb, which means fully, completely knowing that you may know to comprehend, to fully understand the hope to which he has called you. To fully know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's not explaining this here. I mean, uh, how am I supposed to know what this hope is that he's called us to? How am I supposed to know what the riches of the inheritance in the saints is? Uh, this, what do you mean the riches of inheritance in the saints? Wait a minute, I thought the inheritance is something from God. It's not in us, the saints. How am I supposed to know these things? Well, that's, that's the thing. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and the people who are the believers and the faithful in Christ at Ephesus. That God will make these things known to them. And he's going to explain it further on in this book. He's... This is, again, this is just the introduction to the rest of the book. And he's, he's saying, you've been given these things, and, I, and because you've been given these things, I'm praying that God gives you all the more knowledge of these things. Now, these are the things that Paul is praying for. <laughs> and then he goes on in this second part of this section here to say how convinced he is that God will do this. Hmm. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power Toward us who believe. He wants you to understand the greatness of his power because that's what's going to convince you that he's capable of doing all these other things. But Paul is convinced of his power and he wants you to be convinced of this power and he says that this power toward us who believe is according to the great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly place. You want to know for sure that God is capable of giving you all of these things that he's promised? <laughs> Christ didn't stay dead. He is alive forevermore. And that power is the power that he has placed in you, in the Holy Spirit. That power. If that power is at work here, you can be sure that these things are for real. You can be sure that he has predestined you in love. For adoption as sons. This is non-negotiable, people. This is 
an absolute sure thing. This is a one-horse race. There's no other horses that could possibly win. Uh, I just had one question. After, after it says that you may know, could you could you put in a colon there, and then the what, the what, the what? The yes, what? absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. That you might know. Let's see. What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance and saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Yes. Those are the bullet points. Okay. And he continues on with this power. He has placed Christ on his throne at his right hand, the position of power and honor. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There is no one greater than Christ. No one. All things are under Christ. He created all things. Of course all things are under Christ. For whom and through whom and to whom are all things. Oh, and by the way, that's not just for now. It's for all of eternity. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Christ, as head over all things, he gave to the church. So this, this power that's above all things, this, this creator of all things, is head over everything, but he's especially head over the church. And when, when I make that, that differentiation, he's head over all things. Of course he is. He created all things. Um, it, it's, it's kind of the, the generalization that God loves the world, right? And he does. Because he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That's his common grace. But then we have special grace. We have this special love that God lavishes upon us who are his, who are redeemed, who are now part of this, this group of saints That, yes, he's given head, uh, he, he's made Christ head of everything, but he has specially given Christ his head over us. He's given head, Christ his head over everything, but everything rebels against that. He's given Christ as head over us, not in a rebellious, but a lovely way. We recognize how much Christ has done for us. We see the love that he poured out on us, and it's because of his love for us that we love him. So having him as our head is amazing. So he gave him as head over all things to the church. It's a gift from God the Father to the bride of Christ that this head of all things is also our lovely head. Now, who's this church? Which is his body? He's the head? We're the body? Okay, well, we kind of get that. We hear it all the time. We're the body of Christ, right? 
Do we really get what that means, though? And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the next part of the verse just to show you how much we don't get what that means. He's given Christ as head over all things to the church as its head. The church is his body. The church is the fullness of him, the fullness of Christ. Who fills all in all? Hold on a second. What? Are we saying that we're as much of a gift to Christ as Christ is to us? I don't know. Wait a minute. Are you saying that we fill Christ? But wait a minute. I thought he was the source of everything. This is mind-blowing. I, I can tell you right now, I don't comprehend this. I sort of get it, but I couldn't explain it to a five-year-old. I mean, it, it's an amazing idea. It's a, it's a, it's humbling. It's, it's emotional. Wait a minute. This sinner, whom you've redeemed to yourself vertically, and who you've redeemed, who, who you've reconciled horizontally to all these other people whom you've vertically redeemed and reconciled to yourself, you make us literally part of Christ as if something were lacking in Christ no no and I'm not saying that there was nothing lacking in Christ but the way that he's explaining here that the church which is his body is the fullness of him the fullness of Christ who fills all in all it's almost like this circular reasoning thing that I just I can't get my head around. Wait a minute. I thought he was the fullness of everything. I thought he was the head of all things. Now you're saying that we're somehow filling him? <sighs> Again, I don't comprehend this. I don't get it. It's too glorious a thing for me to grasp. Josh, you had a question. I just wanted to point out, as one of y'all pointed out, that Colossians is like a parallel. Mm-hmm. Um, Colossians 2.19, I'm going to flip it because it's coming from a negative mm-hmm. perspective, but it's basically telling us that we should hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourishes it together through his joints and ligaments grows with the buildings from God. Mm-hmm. And if Christ is the head, it's like, what, is that, what does that imagery get us? It's like the mouth for nourishment, um, the mouth for communication. Um, so much of the, the senses is there, right? Like the eyes to see and all this. And uh, I'm reminded of like the Power Rangers back in the day where they would, little individual dudes would like transform into one big one. Yeah. And it's like if the arm wasn't there, right, he couldn't pick something up. Yeah. And if the foot wasn't there, he couldn't run. And so it's, it's just how important things like Hebrews 10 is where it talks about not neglecting the fellowship and uh, that we're all cooperating together to um, bring the growth that is the one new man that Ephesians talks about Mm -hmm. um, that we need each other we need each other desperately can I piggyback on that Yeah. your word for no say that again Oida. Oida. Oida it reminded me because I don't know much Greek at all, but the one word I do kind of remember is koinonia, mm-hmm. and that's fellowship, right? I believe it is, and that's what he just said, mm-hmm. and how the bot and God gave us a human body to just kind of, for us to kind of understand what a body is, and when something doesn't work in the body, and things fall apart, 
And then when your body restores, is restored and you have good health again, the difference in the vastness and the energy and the love and the vitality of life, because we were dead, body was dead, and now it's restored in Christ, you know. All of that when you were saying, I was just got getting giddier and giddier. <laughs> and side is just he's so he God and Jesus and then Paul trying to explain all this to us, just giving us glimpses of mm-hmm. the glorious and the fullness. And the fellowship though, the fellowship is what I kept thinking about. And when we see it in others, when they're getting those seasons of what that all can feel like and we don't live it day to day but when you get a moment or a season and we as believers in the body and the family get to see that in others or participate it's a really beautiful functioning mm-hmm. whole absolutely there was a <clears throat> there's a time i was helping somebody out and doesn't really matter what I was helping them out with and what we were doing didn't doesn't really matter but it was like standing there in that moment thinking wow what an amazing thing to be part of the body this person doesn't know how to do this thing I know how to do this thing I can show him how to do this thing and then from that point forward he knows how to do this thing and he can show someone else and he can show someone else isn't the, the, the whole idea of the body of Christ just fascinating and glorious? You know, the things that, that I might not be good at, or that I might not know, some of you know and are good at. And you can help me in my failure, and I can help you in your failure. And we can lift each other up and we can, frankly, be in unity with one another. How is it possible that we can be in unity with one another when we are so completely different than each other? It makes no sense that this group of people have been brought together out of the world, have maybe a few things in common, but not as much as we know we have in common in Christ. Makes no sense that we would be brought together other than we were brought from death to life in Christ. And and now we have our eyes opened to what love truly is because we were first loved. And how we can share that love with each other. Oh. This is the unity that that Paul is going to continue on and I think it's in chapter 4 where he's talking about being built up as the body and being unified together. And he's going to talk about the differences between slaves and free and masters and and slaves, husbands and wives. Yeah, there's all those, those different groupings, but we're all one. breaks down the barrier I mean even in the verses earlier uh, let's see he's talking about a, a barrier that existed that no longer exists uh, let's see so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory we who were the first to hope in Christ, that's the, that's the Jewish people. This is the group of people who was walled off by their laws, by the ceremonial laws, by the, by the, uh, um, dietary laws, by the, by the moral laws. They were walled off from the rest of society. And frankly, the things that were that walled them off were completely fulfilled in Christ. And now that dividing wall of hostility has been removed because of what Christ has done. He's taken the law and nailed it to the cross. 
Not saying that he has um, removed the law, because he himself says that no jot or tittle of the law will, will be erased. But that now there is no division between the people, God's chosen people of Israel, and the Gentiles who also believe. Those who have been grafted in, the, the unnatural branches being grafted into the vine. So he says that we were the first to hope in Christ, to the praise of his glory. And then he says, and you also, you Gentiles, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you too were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You're now part of this whole group. The saints. And now all of us, whether we be the Jews who first believed or the Gentiles who heard later and also believed, now all have this promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance. Guarantee to the praise of his glory. There's no longer any division. This is how we can have that unity. And, and I mean, this, this, he goes so much in, more in detail later on. This here is simply him telling these people whom he loves these people whom he spent so much time with and now has spent so much time away from, how much he is thankful for them. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I am so thankful for the love that you have for Christ and the love that you have for the saints. Why is he so thankful for that? Well, what is Paul consumed with? The glory of God. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of the glory, his glorious grace. In chapter 2, uh, um, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. The love that you have is expanding God's kingdom. People are hearing about God from you. They're hearing about Christ and they are being saved, which is adding in some strange way because we can't add to God's glory. He's the father of glory. But it glorifies him nonetheless. So I know, I know that you are this people. I know that you belong to Christ. And it's because of that that I pray that the knowledge that you have doesn't stay the knowledge that you have. That the knowledge that you have grows infinitely to the full and complete knowledge of everything that God has done for you in Christ. Well, I thought that was going to take longer. Do you have any other questions, comments? I love hearing the, the prayers of in script that we have recorded in scripture, whether it's a you know an actual prayer or just a, a description of the things that he's praying for mm -hmm. is so often not the things that we pray for. Yeah, I think of all the things that are just pressing on my mind. Mm -hmm. But you read you read the prayers in Scripture. There's a zeal, a hunger uh, for the deeper things of Christ, uh, longing on Paul's on Paul's part for the church in Ephesus to to come to that full understanding mm -hmm. and to uh, keep to push on and just dive into their riches 
uh, of uh, the glory of God in Christ. And though it's those that longing mm-hmm. that uh, I more often than not wish I had. It does seem sometimes that our longing is pretty anemic. Mm-hmm. do about that what's Paul's point here look at Christ <laughs> there's a, there's a sermon that I remember a while back and the basic point of the sermon is there are no lists with God There are no lists. You can't make a list so that you can check it off in the morning to say, okay, I've done what I needed to do today so that I can feel more right with God or or that I can love God more. If you're trying to come up with a list, you're doing it wrong. After the sermon, I went up to the preacher and I said, but I really need a list. I'm a list person. I have to check things off a list to know that I completed it. If I don't have that list, I'm lost. Yeah, Damien, you heard what I said, but you still don't get it. Okay, fine. A couple days later, I go and I speak with another pastor. And I said, you know me. You know that I need lists. I'm not talking about a thing that I can do so that I can um, say that I did it. But just so that I can love God more, because that's my real desire. It's not for me to pat my back and say, You did it today. You checked that thing off your list. You're good today. No, it's because I want to love God more. What do I do? This person said, I know you. I know you need lists. There is no list. But if you need a list, I'll give you one. There's only one thing on it. Look at Christ. That's it. Look at Christ. Focus on Christ. Think about where Christ is. Think about what Christ has done for you. Think about what Christ sacrificed for you. Think about what Christ is doing for you right now. Because he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's my list. Look at Christ. That's it. By looking at Christ, by seeing all that he is, by knowing who he is, I will fall in love with him more and more every day. So how do we fix that anemia of desire? And we feel starved when we don't look at Christ. Edify one another when you see Christ in each other. Say it. Don't think about it. Say it to one another. Mm -hmm. Encourage one another. Sing to each other psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? Don't be hard on yourself. He tells us to call him Abba Father. We can go to him with those quote-unquote silly requests, those whatever that thing might be that's not as spiritual or something as, as the next person. It's like if, if he's got some small little thing, you know, in the view of man, it's on my heart, I should give it to him. Yeah, doesn't that sometimes, doesn't that seem like, wait a minute, 
he's got all of these other things to consider. Why is my little teeny tiny, basically, uh, paper cut of an issue? Why is he going to be concerned about that? He is. He is. He loves us. Jamie, you know what's so fascinating about the way Paul writes, and it's, I guess, probably every every letter he wrote, he always first sets your position mm-hmm. and your relationship vertically. Mm-hmm. And if we can just over... We can understand it. What's his prayer is for understanding mm-hmm. of God, knowledge of Christ. And then, yeah, a couple chapters later, he gets into, okay, so here's how you deal with your children, your boss, and your wife, and everything else. But if we don't first comprehend this, then the, the second piece of it is, is wrong. We do it for the wrong reason. He's pretty consistent. (laughs) And it seems like everywhere that he does this, he starts out with praising God. Doxology. And then he goes into theology. And at some point, right smack in the middle of his theology, he breaks out into this doxology again. I'm thinking that if we study our theology and it doesn't cause us to break out into doxology, we've got something really wrong. We're not understanding what this stuff is. Um, There's a a saying, I'm going to probably mess it up. I should probably, yeah, let me bring it up because I I know where where it is so that I can say it rightly. there's a deficiency yeah well, the reality of it is it's we're deficient without being a part of Christ mm-hmm. that's the deficiency mm-hmm. it's the wrong perspective yeah. but also when the body the church is not acting like a full functioning healthy body like first Corinthians whatever it is where it describes about the, the body and then it goes right into the love chapter mm-hmm. 
and that's essential too because mm-hmm. um, you brought up unity but if you're not feeling unified or you don't feel loved or, and that's the essential thing before you even get to use your spiritual gifts mm-hmm. so it's, it's all connected that way I can't find the quote <laughs> and I don't want to mangle it so I'm not going to because I will mangle it. <laughs> um, basically, the idea is if, if our theology doesn't cause us, if our study of theology doesn't cause us to fall to our knees in adoration and stand to our feet with hands raised up and singing in praise to God. It's not to our glory, it's to His. This. And if, if our theology doesn't cause that, there's something wrong with our theology. And that is what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, look, I know that you are the body. And I'm praying that you understand, yes, what God wants for you. But specifically, what I'm going to say next because he elaborates in the rest of the book what he's talking about here. So I pray that God helps you to understand and comprehend everything that's going to be coming after. And that your love for one another will never cease. Your love for Christ will only grow. That's what I pray for us. And like I said earlier, you know, our church has been here for 65 years. Praise here for another 65 years and we don't get a letter that says you've lost your first love. Anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Abba, Father, you have given us the right to be called your children what your son has done you have told us that we have direct access to you because of what Christ has done that we can come to you asking for the things that we want and need and know that you will give them to us because you love us That is absolutely amazing. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you mostly for your son. In his name we pray.